Hello, welcome to the OSU Sports Extra podcast. I'm Patrick Prince, joined as always by Dean Rule, who's in Stillwater. Uh, we're coming at you on Wednesday, January 25th. Uh, got a couple things to get into, Dean, and uh, we're going to get it get into all of it after a quick break. All right, so Dean, uh, pretty so we we got a defensive coordinator in Stillwater now. Uh, what, let's just, just uh, I'm not sure what, where to start with that. Uh, so Brian Nardo was hired from Gannon University, a small uh, Division II university in Erie, Pennsylvania. Your thoughts on the hire? You know, Patrick, I'll, I'll put it out there, and I always like to read the, the Twitter comments and kind of see what the, the pulse of the fan base is at. And it was pretty divided yesterday. Um, I think you had some people really against the hire, and then you had some who, Maybe not so much liked the hire, but trusted Mike Gundy with this one. Um, so I'll probably be in the minority here when I say I, I like this hire, Patrick. I really do, because it checks off, I think, a lot of the boxes that OSU wanted to check off. Um, I think first and foremost, they wanted a long-term solution at the defensive coordinator position. Um, when I say long-term, you know, five years. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, uh, I think... And we talked about this uh, a week or two ago when we talked about Derek Mason, that it always looked like a short-term option on paper. It didn't look like it was going to be a uh, a long-term thing. Um, and so in that regard, I think Nardo checks off that box right away. Uh, when you're taking somebody from a D2 college, I think they are more apt to stick around a little longer. Um, I think another plus is you've got a guy who's who's young, and, and this kind of got – lost in the mix yesterday, Patrick, but this this guy was a part of a um, a summit, whatever you want to call it, uh, the the uh, the American Football Coaches Association, the AFCA. Uh, they, I guess, every year put together a, a kind of a coaching summit, uh, call it 35 under 35. Uh, you know, anybody who knows Forbes, it's, it's the same idea, 40 mm -hmm. coaches or yeah. 35 coaches under 35 years of age. And, and he was a part of that, Patrick. And you know, you can see, well, what does that really mean? Um, so I spent a little bit of time last night going through those 35 coaches who were a part of that and, and where they are now. Uh, I probably got through about half of them, and each one has had a job promotion, Patrick. Each one has, if they were at a D2 level, they've since moved up to D1. Um, they were at a D3, they've moved up to D2, and they were a D1 kind of specialist coach. They were in a bigger role. So uh, don't, don't get that... Don't look at D1 and, and Gannon University and, and say, oh, this guy can't. Talent comes in a lot of shapes and sizes and forms in, in football. Right. And, yep. Uh, you, you know, and on that, you know, 35 under 35 list, Patrick, uh, somebody that for all the folks listening in Tulsa, there's somebody that all the Tulsa people were really excited wanting the wanting uh, the university to hire uh, Brennan Marion. Um, mm -hmm. Do you remember that name, Patrick? He was over down in. Uh, Texas as the wide receivers coach. He's now the offensive coordinator over at uh, UNLV. Um, so there's talent on this on this list, and, and and I think this is a good benchmark to tell what kind of a person we're dealing with, uh, talent level and 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 kind of smarts wise. Um, and so I think that checks off a third box, and the well that checks off a second box. The third box being Mike Gundy's always seemed to like this three three five defensive scheme. Um, and so for those. We're unsure what that is. That's going to be 
uh, you, what, what you've seen at OSU over the past few years, years is a 4-2-5 scheme. So that's four defensive linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs. This is now three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. And whenever you, when you think of a 3-3-5 in, in the Big 12, you're going to think of Iowa State's defense and, and all that. And Mike Gundy's never shied away or, or, you know, since I've been covering him. Whenever they play Iowa State, he always brings up that Iowa State defense and how good it is, and, and he loves a uh, John Heacock up there and the 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 Cyclones defensive coordinator. Um, so I'm not surprised that that he went after something like that because he's I think he's always been fond of it, and uh, and with three three five, you know, you're more apt to. Um, it's designed in emphasizing stopping the pass. Obviously, it's going to stop the run as well, but all those things kind of come together, Patrick, and I think that when you check off a lot of those boxes, I don't think OSU really gave a crap where this guy was coming from. It could have been a D3, I think, for all Mike Gundy cared. When you check off all those things, um, I, I think that's what this hire comes from, and obviously – uh, as has been talked about a lot, Mike Benny doesn't really care where you're coming from because look at Mike Yersich. Yeah, that that's the obvious comparison, right? You know, nobody knew Mike Yersich a number of years ago. Um, that turned out pretty well. Um, where is he these days, Mike so Yersich? He's at Penn State. Um, okay. so his, he went from OSU, he went to Ohio State right. and Texas, spending a season there, and then he's going into season number three at Penn State as their offensive coordinator. Okay, so, you know, it, it's only been one, but, you know, Gundy has a track record of hiring coaches, assistants from kind of the lower level, and it turning out pretty well. Okay, so you like to hire. that. That's some interesting points. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you've been, so you've been – you've got a story coming. Uh, we're filming this on a, on a Wednesday. You've got a story coming for the Thursday paper, correct? We'll have something out in tomorrow's paper and Friday's paper. Um, okay, so I mean, you've been doing a lot of research, a lot of digging. What what else have you kind of dug up about this guy? What what's interesting about him? Well, Patrick, I think. Uh, well, hold on, hold on, me before you get into that. When you said when you were referencing earlier the under thirty five, so how old is he? So he's thirty seven. Um, okay, so now he's thirty seven. Okay, so still obviously still a young guy. Okay, exactly, and uh, you know, I think something. It's really weird, Patrick, when we, when we talk about a coordinator or a coach hire, you know, we kind of live in a world where you're supposed to be able to, you know, have the instant answer. Is this guy going to work? Is he not going to work? And I think with Brian Nardo, it's going to be years before we know that answer, years before we know if this was a good hire, because even, even at this time next year, when he's had a full season under his belt, how much stock can we put in that? Because these aren't going to be his players. He's going to be trying to completely overhaul this entire, you know, defense. So how many, you know, how many years are we going to look, look at Jim Knowles, Patrick? Uh, if we would have judged Jim Knowles in his first season at OSU and said, this is what his career is going to be, you, you would have said he sucked. You know, I mean, like, just to be frank. You would have said those numbers are not good. This defense was not good. But, you know, by year four, when he had his players in, he had his system in, he had everybody, everything, you know, down to his science and players were buying in. Um, he's, obviously, everybody was so upset to see Jim Knowles go. And so, so that's why I say 
this is going to be a process. And as much as we want to know the answer, is this going to work? Is this not going to work? I just don't think we can answer that properly at the right time. Um, but I think I think we can look at some other things and we can look at what he did at Gannon University. And while the numbers aren't spectacular, when you look at what he did in a year, because if you thought the numbers were rough this year, uh, let's see, Patrick, I got them pulled up. I'll, I'll list a couple of them off for you. You know, you've got a team that he came in, they were allowing almost 400 yards of offense a game. He lopped off nearly, he lopped off more than 100 yards of that, uh, going from about 393 down to 287 yards per game defensively. So that's a 100 yard improvement right there. Mm -hmm. Um, in, In terms of, uh, you know, turnovers, the, the decent numbers, three sacks a game that ranked high in Division Two football. Seven tackles for loss a game. Um, you know, when you look at what Gannon was the year before he came up, came over, and then the year he had at Gannon, those were major improvements in a lot of those statistical categories, Patrick. And then I, I think the most telling of what he's capable of doing is looking at. Uh, what he did over at Emporia State in Kansas, because um, he had eight years there, and by the end of it, they were creating. They were having forty sack seasons. They averaged twenty six turnovers a season. Patrick under him, twenty six a season. A season, yeah. That okay. was their average in, during his tenure. They were able to force twenty six turnovers. So, I, it's a, so I think it, what, the, the point I'm making is when you look at kind of. One stop where he's been able to really implement what he wants to implement. Let's look at Emporia State and what he's been able to do. And, you know, they went on to win their first ever playoff game. And, and that team's been around since 1893, apparently. And under him, they won their first uh, playoff game ever. Um, so I think, I think that's something to look at. But then trying to learn a little bit about Brian Nardo, the person, um, Something that that I've been able to learn is that he has an innate sense of understanding players and getting them to buy in. This is something that that uh, talking with some people who know him, and we'll, we'll have a story on this uh, Friday, Patrick, in our Friday print Thursday afternoon. Uh, we'll have a story on this. Just kind of he he has that innate sense to kind of understand his players, understand what they need and be able to buy into what he's selling. And, and, and I think, obviously, that's going to be super important, Patrick, because I don't care how much smarts you have. If you don't have – the players don't tr- believe in you, this is not going to work out. Um, so I think overall – oh, I heard he's a Dallas Cowboys fan too, Patrick. I, I don't know if that gets people fired up or not. But all, okay. all, all that um, – so, so we'll have a whole story on that, but he, he has, again, all the intangibles you want in a coach, a defensive coordinator. Um, and I, I like to hire Patrick. I might be in the minority there. All right. Well, we'll see. Like you said, time will tell. Um, all right. Excuse me while I clear my throat live on air there. Um, man, I just did it again. Uh, let's talk a little hoop. So, OSU had a really good win uh, against Iowa State last Saturday, set back last night at Texas. Uh, we're kind of getting to the point of year where every game counts, every game matters. Uh, where where does OSU basketball stand uh, today in terms of possible tournament prospects? Well, 
if if you put stock into what Joe Lenardi says in his weekly uh, bracketology on ESPN, he says OSU's in the first four out category. So that put him around number 70 uh, in the field of 68. Uh, so, so there's still some work to do, and Texas is going to – losing to Texas last night is going to bump them down a smidge. Uh, I wouldn't say it drops them terribly because Texas is a team that is – fighting for a number one seed still. Um, yeah, you're, you're running out of time, Patrick. I, I'm going to put, I'm officially putting the clock on. You are running out of time if you're going to make the tournament. Uh, Ole Miss, if, if, if they lose to Ole Miss on Saturday, then things get really dicey in my opinion. Uh, and that's going to be the remember the 10 game. Um, I will say against Texas, they showed a lot of signs of what, allowed them to win against OU and Iowa State this past uh, this past week. And that's the up-tempo offense, moving the ball faster. You know, I think Woody Newton has been vital in them being able to open up this offense because he is that stretch four, uh, you know, kind of forward who plays like a guard, but he's 6'9". Uh, he's been vital in kind of keeping, going a little small ball, keeping the tempo up getting shots up uh and and so you saw that against texas and they were really they they stayed in there for a little bit the problem is patrick and i think this is going to be a killer is closing out halves is always tough on them uh you know i I wrote about it uh from last night bryce thompson hit this big three to cut cut their deficit down to two with four minutes left in the first and they didn't score for the final four minutes. Allowed Texas wow. to to bump up their lead, carried into the half, come out of the half, and they were able to just kind of anytime OSU had momentum, they just kept pushing back, pushing back. Um, they also ran into a ton of foul trouble last night. Uh, that that that's not helpful against Texas. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm saying I'm turning the clock on. I'm saying you're running out of time. They need probably another signature win or two. They need another win. You know, Iowa State caliber win. Um, if they get that, they won't win the games they're supposed to win. Then, then yeah, they're a tournament team, but they still need that one more win, Patrick, in my opinion. And then, of course, after Ole Miss is is Bedlam the following Wednesday and Norman. It just just yeah. feels like they played Bedlam the other the other day. So, <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, that Saturday's the remember the ten game, um, and. When that happened in 2001, OSU vowed to always remember the 10, and they've really, really done that. They've they've never they've they've always honored the 10 every year. They've they've really done exactly what they said they were they were going to do. Uh, what are they doing this Saturday? I think they're they're doing their their normal uh, setup. I don't think I haven't heard anything. I'm they always do something special. During the uh, during halftime during pregame, um, I haven't heard anything about what that is. But no, I, you, you're 100 correct, Patrick. There will be something special. They will remember the 10. Um, I think it has been one of the the more respectable things OSU's done every year is is making sure this gets acknowledged and taken care of. How old were you in 2001? One. <laughs> I mean it. It's a I'm curious what what does that mean to you? I mean, <clears throat> you and I are quite a, quite a bit different in age, and I was actually working that night uh, for the Stillwater News Press in 2001, and I knew a couple of those people on that plane. Um, 
but for someone like yourself, uh, what what's what's in, you know, and you're like me, you were a student. We both went to OSU. Uh, so there's that. What what does that mean to you? Kind of someone from a younger generation. So not only a younger generation, Patrick, but uh, I didn't grow up in Oklahoma. Um, so so when I eventually did move to Oklahoma and, and you, you learn about it and you, you hear about it. Um, you know, I think the. One of the most important pieces of journalism I've ever read was a Rick Riley article, Patrick. Yeah. Back cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. I think it was a week or two after the plane crash. Uh, he wrote, uh, it was probably 25 inches of copy on it, right? And, and I just think it's it's the most just raw telling. It, it, it was centered around their following away game. They were trying to decide if they were going to fly or drive it. I think it was against Iowa State. Um, they, were, they were trying to decide if they were going to fly or drive it and, and just telling that story. Um, and, and hearing, you know, first-hand accounts from you know, like people yourself and you know Tom Dorado Patrick I'm sure you, you know Tom uh you know he he him telling his story of all that stuff uh yeah I, I think it's super necessary that days like Saturday come around because it's it's so important to to tell those people's stories and and to tell the story of it and, and make sure people remember it yeah yeah no doubt about it all right, before we uh, get out of here, let's talk a little uh, wrestling. Um, you went to a duel. Uh, w- w- remind me which duel did you go to? I was out at uh, Gallagher on Friday for Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado, that's right. That, uh, tell us about that. How'd that go? You know, I think this is uh, your typical Cowboys team. They're elite. They're in the top level. Um, I don't think uh, John Smith is happy. You know, uh, he's probably happy with the team. Um but, you know, I think John Smith wants a national contender every year, and 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 rightfully so. You know, this is what this, this program is built up, and uh, you know, Dayton Fix is doing what he's supposed to do at one thirty three. Patrick, uh, you got Travis Whitlake doing what he's supposed to do at one eighty four. Dustin Plot at one seventy five. Uh, Cerber at ninety. You know, I think those upper weights have really kind of solidified themselves. Those those one seventy four on. Uh, the problem weight, you know, 141, I think you'd like to see a little more from Carter Young. Uh, he's six and eight on the season, and he wrestled the number one guy at his weight on, on Friday, and, and that's why that going out to that match was so important to me because I wanted to see, you know, how did he look there against the number one guy. And uh, John Smith even said at postgame, you know, it shows you there's a lot of work he saw us do to be competing at, a top, at the top level. Um, so... I think, especially with this being in Tulsa this year, Patrick, I, I think the story is going to be Dayton Fix, who's finished runner-up now two consecutive years um, at 133, and he's on a crash course again to to end up in that national championship with against Roman Bravo Young. Um, so uh, you you've got a solid team, you know. I think they're ranked. They just moved up, I think, to number ten yesterday. I didn't spend too much time reading it because Brian Nardo had just been hired, but. Uh, I think I think OSU moved up to number ten in team rankings, and uh, it, it's a good team. I I think John Smith's want them to compete a little more and, and really get ready for those that run in Tulsa. Yeah, for sure. And I, I appreciate you saying that about reminding folks that uh, the BOK Center is hosting the uh, the National Ranch Wrestling Championships. That's 
That'll be, and that's March, early March. So you'll have, so Tulsa is going to be a hub in March for wrestling because you'll have the conference, Big 12 Conference Championships that first weekend in March. I think it's the 4th and the 5th. That's right. Yeah. You'll have national championships at the BOK uh, the 16th to the 18th of March. Very nice. Three day Matt Madness is what they call it, Patrick. Oh, love it, love it, love love the uh, love the catchphrases. All right, anything else on your mind you want to share? I think we're good, Patrick. All right, we'll end it there. Uh, we appreciate you checking us out. Dean and I come at you once a week, usually in the middle of the week. You can check us out for free on Google, Apple, or Spotify. Uh, we appreciate you listening, and uh, Dean will catch up next week. For sure.